We're closing out with some music from Nicholas Jar, uh, a tune called America, I'm for the Birds. And you are listening to listener-supported WPKN in Bridgeport at 89.5 FM. I'm Valerie Richardson, and I'm joined in the studio by Monica Nichols. Hi, Monica. Hi, thank you for having me today. I think I think that's I think you're there. Um, it's it's a, it's a pleasure to have you here. I, we'll be talking about birds, and I know Monica through her aunt, who is a longtime friend of mine and hair guru, Anola, uh, who's at the Euphoria Studio. And I would be going to you, be going to Anola, and and I would I would see just these beautiful beautiful pieces of, of your calendars and photography that you were doing and it was all of birds and, and and it was really interesting birds too and and I just was so so intrigued and so uh, we've been talking about um, we were trying to connect for a while and so we did and you're here so again thank you for having me it's a pleasure to be here today and uh, thank you for the um, appreciation for my work right, let me just make sure I have you on the right f- head f- uh, microphone here Say something again. Thank you for your appreciation for my work. Okay. I really appreciate it. That, that's it. I was thinking that was microphone number two, but you're microphone number two. Okay. This is this is these are new studios, and so I've I've only done I think um, one other in studio interview since since we've been here. So, um, so we were we've talked a little bit on, by phone. I I love birding. I I I describe myself as not a birder, but I am a person who likes to know about the birds around me and whenever I'm uh, you know whether I'm in a, a suburban area or out in the woods or of uh, on the water um, I'm, I'm just always intrigued about those birds and then learning to more about the birds and and uh, their habits and um, so that's that's and I, we were just talking about lifeless um, that we both have through eBird. So I have, I just looked, I have 106 on my list and you have how many? I have 359, (laughs) hopefully close to 500 by the end of the year. Because you're going to Brazil. Because of my Brazil trip, correct. So we'll we'll be talking about that as well. So um, what, what first got you into birds? So I started birding in 2016. Um, I had gotten a camera just to basically photograph the seals off of Hammonasset and I was out one day with the golf cart and I had a great horned owl fly directly over my head into the woods at my house. And, uh, that kind of got it for me, got pictures of it. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I got hooked. So, so you've been doing photography for, for a long time. About six years. So they, they sort of, sort of came, came together. Birding started after the photography, I'd say, but yeah, right around the same time. So, and you have a website, uh, and, and your 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 moniker is the Walking Bird Nerd. So that's your website, thewalkingbirdnerd.com, and and people can see examples of your work, and um, you know, and, and and I guess to to talk about some you know like maybe specifics. What are what are some of the um, do do you do certain trips every year? Uh, certain you, you you live in Madison, so you probably do a lot of a lot of shorebirds. Correct. I'd first like to explain why I chose that name for my website. So I kind of have this nickname of Walking Google by my friends because I started giving some bird walks, and people would ask me, "What's that bird singing? What's that right there? What's sitting on that picnic table?" So I would be able to tell them what that was and why it was that, and they basically just decided to call me their Walking Thesaurus and. That's kind of basically how Walking Google evolved. 
Um, and then walking, walking bird nerd. The walking bird nerd. Um, that I didn't want to use Google in my website because it is a business and I didn't want to risk my website being jeopardized. So I'm like, why not come up with something similar and unique that kind of goes along with that? So doing photography of, of, of with birds, and I'm sure... Now, have you have you done? Um, do you, do you do tours? Have you have you done? Um, have you done any teaching about photography and and some of the some of the things that you do? I have not. I've led a couple bird walks. Um, I will be recording a basics of birding course for beginner birders learning how to ID um, different species based on habitat, what they look like, their behavior. So uh, that'll be up on my website hopefully in the next couple months. Oh, that's interesting. And is that would that be birds from from lots of different habitats or Yeah, basically anything all the different habitats, but primarily focused on the um the northeast where I live. Um I don't have much experience with birds of the in the rest of the world, but I'll try and be general about that. I I look forward to that. That that'll be really great. Thank you. How many how many different species are in just uh, in Connecticut? That's a good question. Um, I think about f- at least four hundred species have been recorded in Connecticut. Um, as when you when you said the number three hundred and fifty nine, I was thinking, wow, that must be almost as many birds that are as are in Connecticut. It is, but that includes trips I've taken to Maine, all the way down to New Jersey. So, not all the birds that I've seen have been in Connecticut, but most of them have. I spend I spend um, have I should say I've spent part of the last two winters. In Atlanta, and and it's it's interesting because a lot of the birds. And, and I, I stay at my mother's house. She lives in the suburbs of Atlanta, and so um, there's a, there are a lot of birds there, and and that's actually been where I do a lot of just really going out in the afternoon and sitting and 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 listening for birds and um, you know looking at birds. And you know, usually, like a, my daily bird list will be about twenty five different species for that. But it's, in, it's interesting coming back to Connecticut. So I'm, um, there is a Connecticut Ornith, Ornithological Society bird list where you can find, um, you can, you can sign up for it and find about different species that are, that are maybe rare that are visiting. And, and a lot of the birds that I know from Georgia are considered not, not common up here. So that's. Yeah, they're considered vagrants. So, um. That's that's always interesting because I was like, wow, those are those are part of my part of my daily existence down in down in Georgia. Um, and you're going on a big trip this year. I am. I'm going to Brazil in September, so that's really exciting. And will that be with a um, with a group? So a couple people that I know, um, they're known as a couple without borders on uh, social media. Um, they're they're leading the uh, tour. They've been there three times already. Um, so they're going to be leading about four of us. So you're going, you're going down with a specific, specific goal of seeing lots and lots of different kinds of birds. Jaguars are going to be on the top of the list for sure. Um, and lots of different birds, hopefully agami heron. That's a, that's going to be a big goal for us. The agami heron? Correct. Very, very hard to hard to see down there, but we'll see if we can get it. Oh, cool. The um, the, I, I think I know I, I know people who um who have the luxury of of time and money and who do a lot of trips to to different parts of the world. Um, so that's I, I think that's just one of those things that you end up doing as a birder. 
It is. I mean, I wasn't expecting to want to do this, but I was following them on Paul and Robin. Um, I was following them on social media for a while and I always follow their stories and they had just gotten back from Brazil last, last fall. And I was seeing all their pictures and I'm like, wow, I really need to go and try and get on this trip. So what are some of the things you've seen just say this, um, this year that have really gotten you excited? So most recently the, there was a lark sparrow seen at Hammonasset. Now they're out West, um, this is probably the third one that I've seen in the last two years. But what, what really was really exciting about this bird is that a few days later, I found out that this photo of mine was actually published in the Connecticut Ornithology Association's uh, quarterly bulletin. Oh, cool. Is there, um, and as I was talking to you also sort of about the um, birding and, and photography of birding, I said I, I sort of imagine people like you who do a lot of a lot of photography is is just waiting and sitting and 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 wait sort of like waiting for that perfect perfect light perfect bird on the nest and is is that sort of what it's like or do you just turn around and like oh I've got to get this right now I mean I guess it really depends I mean I ch- I usually check eBird reports before I go out so I know what species I'm going to target and where to go. Um, I don't typically tend to tend to stand in one spot unless it's a rarity or a mega rarity. Um, I like to walk around and see what else shows up. And do you do you um, since you're you're in Madison? Do you go out to go out to Hammonasset a lot of like on a almost daily basis or not daily? But I do go down several days a week. I do monitor tree swallows down there, so I do have to go down there and check at least once a week. And uh, I do have babies right now, so. Really exciting to see. I'm really fascinated by tree swallows because um, just the way that they make their nest. Why don't you talk a little bit about there's there's sort of it's sort of an unusual um, construction. I mean, I wouldn't say it's really unusual, but um, they start out with kind of straw sticks, and then they basically line the inside of the nest with feathers. It doesn't even have to be their own. Oftentimes, they'll take other other birds' feathers, and then they'll lay the eggs. The eggs will incubate. She won't incubate until all the eggs are laid, so that's typically about five to six eggs. Um, And then about maybe two weeks later, the eggs will hatch. And you were talking about the feathers in the nest. That's Often they use white feathers, right? And that's also part of their mating mating ritual? I do. I am not sure about that. I do. Ha- I have seen a lot of white feathers, but I've also seen some pretty, um, pretty awesome patterned feathers too. So, and so they just do it. Um, they they make their nests in trees, hence the name tree swallow. I guess. <laughs> Actually, people make uh, uh, nest boxes for them. So you'll if you go walk at Hammonasset, you'll see those wooden boxes on stakes in the middle of the marsh. Those are actually the tree swallow boxes. And they are cavity nesters, so they you won't see them nesting out in the open. Are they a species that has been um, endangered? Is there a reason why why they specifically that that bird they make they make the nest for? I mean, other birds will use that too. You'll see uh, house wrens using them. Bluebirds will use them. Bluebirds are um, I don't know how I don't know if they're a special concern species or not, but. Um, I guess their tree swallows at one point were not doing very well, but they seem to be 
flourishing now for the most part. I think the... Um the, the, you're talking about the tree swallows, and I get sort of angry at I mean, not tree swallows, the the house wrens, because I've I've for a while was putting up um, bird bird houses in my yard, and and we usually start out that there would maybe be a chickadee would build. I, I never had any bluebirds. A lot of times it was chickadees, but then the house wrens seem, tend to come later in the season, and they sort of invade people's other birds' nests, and um, I guess destroy some of the eggs. So house wrens may destroy eggs. The biggest culprit is house sparrows, which are an invasive species from Europe, and they are not protected by law, unlike tree swallows and other birds. But they they will compete with um, our native species. And actually, a couple of years ago, I had a whole nest of my tree swallows destroyed by a house sparrow. Oh, that's awful. I didn't I didn't realize that they were. I mean, I know that they are an invasive invasive species, but. Um, didn't realize they were also so destructive. Yeah, unfortunately they are, and they're all over the place. They are all over the place. Um, I'm speaking with Monica Nichols, and she is a, a birder, and she is a photographer, and you can see some of her work by going to her website, which is thewalkingbirdnerd.com, and um, just listening, looking at some of the things that you've been, been doing recently, um, really some some just really gorgeous shore photography and um it, I, I think that's that's always so interesting too is just the 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 life of the birds who come in who are who are migrating who and i, I guess especially on the shores you can really um go and and see things that might be passing through might be going to another part of the world but um, it's just it's always it's always changing at this time of the year. It's just always so interesting. I mean, spring migration typically only lasts one to two weeks. So that's when you're going to see the most activity. And then right around now is when things start dying down because all the birds are not singing anymore. They're not courting. They're on nests. A lot of them have babies like the American oyster catchers and the piping plovers will have chicks now. Um, a lot of the songbirds will have eggs or just starting to hatch. Um, so it'll slow down a little bit during the summer until those birds grow. And then in the fall, we'll have a longer migration when all the birds coming from north, from up north will mi- migrate down to their wintering grounds. For people who are, are interested in, in learning about birding and, and, and maybe seeing go, going on some birding trips, do you want to just talk about some of the resources that are available in Connecticut? So there's a couple good groups that lead tours in Connecticut. There's Sunrise Birding. Um, run by Gina Nickel, based out of uh, Branford. Um, there's also the New Haven Bird Club will lead uh, bird walks usually the first Wednesday in um, of each month. Um, I also w- I also plan on starting to do some local uh, birding trips for those wanting to learn as well. Oh, interesting! And and I would also say that I go to um, the Audubon centers quite a bit, um, particularly the one in, one in Milford. They have a lot of, you can, you can sign up for their, their mailing list and they have a lot of different trips and tours that you can do just, just of their property. And that's a, that's a fascinating, um, that's a fascinating location because you have, you can have, a, a on, on one side of the, of the location, there's a, um, it is right on the shore. It's right on the shore. Um, I guess I have a little bay, but it's basically the Long Island Sound. There's a long spit of land that goes out 
and a lot of birds are out there. I, you know, I guess even at this time of the year, they really don't want a lot of people walking around. But then on the other side of their center, there, there's a big, big marshy area and a viewing platform and a telescope. And you can just see, uh, you know, I'm sure miles, at least a mile across, a mile to either side. So that's, that's a fun place to go. Yeah, it's... They really don't have limits on people going. It's just the best time to go is low tide, so you're minimizing your disturbance there. That is, um, it's a big breeding ground for our threatened um, federally protected species like the American oyster catcher and piping plover and least tern, um, which haven't been doing so well the last couple of years because of people and uh, the fact that it's been flooding a lot more. Yeah, that's 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 something. You know, the the climate change is really really affecting the birds as well. Oh, for sure, and definitely human human waste. Um, I was down at Milford Point, I think, last year, and there was I was disturbed by what I saw: balloons and beer bottles, and of course, I picked it all up because I had a bag with me. Um, and fishing line is a big one too. I've been seeing a lot of posts with. Um, especially a place called Hope. They've been getting a lot of birds in with um, entangled in fishing line. Um, so that's a big, big issue right now with birds. And, they, and people just don't even think about it when they... No, they just, if they snag it, if they get the line snagged, they'll just cut the line. And um, I, I remember a couple of years back, there was a injured double-crested cormorant hanging out between him and Asset and one of the local town beaches. And... Luckily, I was around. I was able to catch that bird um, with a towel, and uh, it turned out that the bird had actually swallowed a fishing hook. Oh. It went all the way down and was so deep that it couldn't be saved, unfortunately. So the bird was humanely, humanely, humanely euthanized at that point. But oh, that's awful. At least it wasn't suffering anymore. Well, that, that was that was great that you uh, that you caught it. Yeah, I've been doing that a lot more. I uh, do wildlife transport for various rehabbers across the state. So a lot of the rehabbers don't have the time to go out and actually pick up the bird and bring it back. Um, so that's where people like me come in. We transport the bird either from the vet or the finder to the licensed rehabber. I did. Um, I, I My my home um, has, has a little creek behind it, and I was um, in, in the yard one day and I saw that there was actually a hawk that was sitting in the little creek. It's a very, very, very shallow creek. And and I thought, I don't know, it's not that there's a lot of fish or anything in that, that little creek, but um, I just thought it was sort of going about its business. And I came back a little bit later and it was still there. So I realized it was probably also, um, and it was a Sunday and I, I think I tried calling some people um, to see if someone could come rescue it. And I finally ended up doing it myself. And, you know, I got a towel and a box and took it to, I, I was finally able to reach a center. They couldn't send any, anyone out, but I was able to take the hawk there. So Good. they could rehab it. And another big issue um, I wanted to bring up is rodenticides. We're seeing a lot of um, older birds, like the great horned owls and hawks are actually get, eating poisoned rats and then feeding it to the babies. So um, I've been following a lot of um, posts made by a place called Hope. They've been getting a lot of those cases in. And some have been saved, some have not, because the poison just goes too far. So we are working with the government to hopefully ban rodenticides like we did DDT back in the 90s, 80s. Because um, this is just, this isn't fair to the birds or to us. Is there is there some change in 
what's being used recently or is it has it gotten worse? It's definitely gotten worse. I I have followed a place called Hope for several years and I don't ever remember seeing this many posts about orphaned owls and birds from rodenticides. Um I think what we need to do is encourage encourage other methods. There's uh, the have a heart traps. There's the snap the quick snap traps. I mean, that's that's I mean, it's not it's not the most ideal method, but it it's pretty quick and it doesn't um impact the food chain at all. So, as you're as you're talking about this, do you um are what what steps are people actually taking at this point? I mean, is there sort of a path forward? You think? Um, there's been letters that we can write to send out to our local officials. Um, that much I've seen. I don't know how far it's gotten yet, but hopefully, sometime in the next year or so, we'll find out. That's it's it's you know it's I I think I think that. Um, the, just just educating people about it, and it's in the same with DDT. I mean, people just didn't understand, and and luckily some people understood enough to make the connection between the DDT and what was happening to to birds um, and, and bird shells, and um, just so many species were were just really disappearing because of that. So that's um, I guess where and where education happened and and really. It was they were able to able to ban it. Yeah, and sticky traps is another issue. I mean, people think that it's okay to put sticky traps in their house. You're going to catch other things other than insects. I mean, that's cool. I mean, I've seen pictures of birds stuck on it, snakes stuck on it. So that's another thing we need to ban. I mean, like I said, there's have a heart traps. Um, you can. There's other solutions to this, um, and I think we all need to work together as a um, as a species to come up with a solution as I've I've said on the air and as I've I was saying to you I'm I'm just really um, fascinated to the point of obsession with with um, Osprey I just love Osprey I live in a, in a place where I get a lot of, see a lot of Osprey see a lot of Osprey fishing and I joined an uh, an effort um, uh, basically I've become an Osprey um, an Osprey monitor Osprey steward. So I have, I think, nine nests that I watch in Hamden and in North Haven. And so I go out to my nest every, every couple of weeks ago and every couple of weeks and see what they're doing. And um, I, I saw probably that there were some young in some of the nests that went out this past Sunday. But they're just such fascinating birds. And I'm always so fascinated by uh, these, these little birds are being born right now in, in June and they will fledge in a few weeks, and then they fly to South America. It's just, I, I, I just can't, it's almost incomprehensible that, you know, this thing that was just a few weeks old is could make that big journey. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely amazing. I, I've watched, I've been watching some documentaries just on, on, on bird, bird migration. And, um, you know, again, it's just, um, one, one I've watched recently was, uh, and not specifically about migration about osprey though uh is called the season of the osprey and it was i think it was filmed maybe not too long ago but it was filmed do you know this this movie i've heard of it is it by pbs i think it was by wgbh so yeah i mean basically a okay an yeah. individual individual station uh paul giamatti the actor is the narrator but they 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 filmed it in the mouth of the the connecticut river and 
it was um, and, and basically they they followed this one this one osprey family over over an entire season. There's the they they first show the father coming back to his you know they show where he would have flown from and coming back to his ancestral nest and in Connecticut, and then uh, a little bit later, the female comes in. I guess I just always thought they hung out together all the time, but I guess they don't. Yeah, the males <laughs> typically come in first and then gets the nest ready, and then the females will show up a week or so later. And then they they um, they had three little three little chicks, and 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 I guess then the females leave. They leave before the birds are actually fully um, fledged, or that's what this documentary said at least. I didn't I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, I had, I had read someplace, and I'm sure this is not not true that that there would actually be um, sometimes they would do two two nests a year, but that that doesn't seem possible. I'm not sure for ospreys. I know some birds, like bluebirds, will do more than one brood a year. If sometimes even three broods. Um, most birds, like the tree swallows, only have time to do one brood. And I'm and I'm sure the osprey too, because they're just such. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's it's and, and they again are a species that that were um, were very much endangered and uh, just looking at the the osprey steward map which maps out all the nests there's hundreds especially where where I am along the Quinnipiac um, River Quinnipiac all the salt, salt marshes up there just so many osprey nests and I I go the the places I go and actually I'm I'm right alongside railroad tracks and. They're just new ones all the time, new nests, and yeah. I wonder if they're the babies. The babies probably come also back to that that same area. I would think. Are they are they drawn back to that same that same specific geographic location? That I don't know. Maybe the same area. I don't know how exactly they would tone in to where they were born, but. So again, I'm speaking with Monica Nichols, who is the walking bird nerd, uh, does really beautiful photography. I talk a lot, I speak a lot to artists and to photographers, and uh, it's always so hard because I wish I could just show everyone uh, all, all the images and everything that you, you do. Um, uh, look, I'm looking at this one right now that's on your Facebook page, which I guess was late. Oh yeah, that was a, uh, a picture. I was doing some volunteer work out at Great Gull Island in, I think it was 2017, 2018. So the th- important thing about this island is it's not open to the public. Um, it's the one of the largest colonies of roseate terns and common terns in the Northeast. Um, so it's, it's a very good protected island away from human inter- interference. And they usually, I think there's like 5,000 pairs of commons and Two th- 2,500 pairs of roseates, roughly. Um, but I got to go out there for two days and um, help mark uh, turn nests so that when the eggs hatched, they could the babies could be banded. Oh, okay. So that, that image was taken at sunrise on one of the mornings that I was there. And there was a pair of common turns sitting up on one of the buildings. And one of them had a fish in its mouth. And I just thought it was so cool with the sun illuminating behind them. So it's it's these two birds that are sitting on this. Um, it, it, you can't really tell what they're sitting on, uh, but they're they're basically framed by the rising sun. It's just so it's so beautiful. Yeah, they're sitting on one of the buildings that we would sleep in. Oh, okay. Yeah, so pretty rustic housing. 
And you're also, you also do photography, uh, I don't know if it's incidentally, or you also seek it out, but a lot of uh, insect photography. Yeah, that's kind of my new uh, passion as well. I mean, birding will always be my top passion, but I got a uh, macro lens off my one of my friends and I've been playing around with it and I just I've always loved bugs I mean ask my parents and you'll see you they'll tell you that I've been uh into bugs and everything that moves since I was little I mean I still remember a picture of me I was probably five or six and I was holding up my finger with a grasshopper sitting on it I'm like look at this look <laughs> at this so I've always been into things like that so for for people who are out there and who are photographers, I'm not I'm not a photographer other than my phone. Um, can you talk a little bit about the the equipment that you use? I my primary camera is a Canon Rebel T7i, and uh, the main lens I use for birds and wildlife is a Tamron 150 to 600 because um, a lot of the wildlife tends to be way out. Um, for macro, I have a specific lens that says macro on it's a hundred millimeter um it's a fixed lens so it doesn't zoom in or out just easy to get close to things with i also have a uh, 55 mil i really don't go around with that but um that's good for concert photography usually um i also have a backup uh rebel t8 so the um so when you're when you're out if you're if you're out someplace and 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 you're and you're shooting birds but then you all of a sudden see an insect that's really fascinating so you just do you switch lenses at that point? It depends on what the insect is. Um, sometimes I will t- actually take a picture with my cell phone and then just use that um, if I can get close enough. Other times, yeah, I'll just put my bag down and rush to change lenses. Yeah, I'm just I'm just scrolling through some of this photography here. Um, so how how do you how do you go out pretty much every day? Um, when I not I'm working full time, working six days a week now, so it's really hard for me to get out now. Uh, last year when I was just starting a new job, it was a little bit easier. I was able to get out three or four times a week. Now it's I'm lucky to get one or two out, but I try and make the best of it because it's what I have and. And how, how often do you get called for, for rescuing birds? Um, there's a group on Facebook that I'm a part of that I'll usually get tagged in if I'm close enough. Um, this year it's only been a couple times that I've been able to help, but every little every life matters. So whatever I can help with, I'm glad to help with. I know that some, um, some countries are, and I guess it's New Zealand, and, and you're ta- talking about rod- rodenticides, but some some countries are also are banning cats because of their destruction. Too. So, so this is a very sensitive topic for people. Um, As feral, I can imagine, <laughs> feral cats are a huge problem. Um, they kill billions of birds each year. It's uh, it's really gotten out of control. And uh, there are people in Connecticut that do trap and and spay them, but that's still not solving the problem because you're just placing them back in the environment. Um, cause cats are not actually native here. So they're, they are an invasive species is basically what I'm getting to. So I wonder if these countries like, uh, like New Zealand, um, it may be, be interesting to see what, what happens. I, I'm a cat person, so. Oh, I, I am too. I have two, two adorable cats at home. I love to death. Um. 
but mine mine do not go outside so mostly mostly for the cat's health but you know I, i'm sure anyone who has a cat who who does have a cat that goes outside has had that experience of having the cat bring home just a beautiful songbird and it's just it's so heartbreaking it's, it's devastating it really is well we are um just about out of time anything anything else you want to talk about and i think especially with your um sort of some of your up- upcoming projects um going to brazil and uh the the video uh, is it a video that you're working on the the beginning birders it's going to be i'm going to do a, it over zoom but i'll record it and then upload it as a youtube um whenever i get time so hopefully in the next couple of months it's a four-part series that i'm going to be working on um do you have do you have all the visual material in um in in, in place for that or are you are you having to go out and look for things a lot of it i'm using my own photography for um so it's I have all the PowerPoint set up, so I just need to tweak a few things and just record it. I think the, um, you know, and, and another thing that um, I, I know I've, I use a lot are, there's just so many great apps out there right now. They're not, they're not all great and they're not all great all the time, but um, I use, I use the Merlin app and the, the, particularly for, for bird songs. And I would never, I would never, um, and, and basically, this is something that's that's published by the Cornell Ornithological Society group. Um, that's that's one of the top top birding research places. But they have this app that you can you can basically either do a photo of the bird. I it's almost always wrong. Um, but the sound the sound ones are much more accurate. And I would never like post a bird that I heard there that I couldn't be- verify otherwise. But I've, I've, it, that fat for me, you know, that, that idea of wanting to know what I'm, what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing, um, that's, that's just, it's been really a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of very skeptical about that app. I mean, I've seen a lot of mistakes with it. Um, the photos, I think, is a lot more reliable. It is still learning, especially the songs. I think, um, always take it with a grain of salt. Um, I typically ask people I know for a verification on, of an ID. Um, there's lots of good groups on Facebook, like what's that bird? They're good. Um, there's a lot of experts in there that'll help you there. Um, I also use an app called iBird Pro. It's basically a mobile version of your regular bird guide. Um, it's like a, it did, it is not free of course, but it is one of the best tools I would highly recommend. It has illustrations of each bird, uh, photos of each bird, the range map where you can find it. Um, similar looking birds, um, you can play song clips on it. So it's a whole bunch of tools in one. I would have to check out some of the, some of the places that, um, some of the online places that identify birds. I, I will, I'll go to like the, uh, the bird store up in Hamden sometimes with my phone and say, what is this? What is this bird? It's driving me crazy. <laughs> Especially if it's something that I, I'm hearing a lot in my environment and I just, I can't place it. And I can't, I can't place a lot of things, so... That's okay. I, I'm, I'm always, uh, the, the, a lot of things are mysteries to me. Um, well, anyway, it's just so great. I'm so glad we're finally connected. Uh, Monica Ann Nichols, again, the website is thewalkingbirdnerd.com. And uh, best of luck on your, on your, um, all your endeavors. I, I look forward to seeing about the, the, the video that you're producing. 
Um, I think it's perfect for someone like me, probably. And um, and your trip to Brazil and all, all your photos. Of course. And I have a blog on my uh, website, too. So I'll be updating. I'll be keeping update, that updated. Um, and I'll be adding photos regularly. I'll be having I'll have videos up. Um, you can always contact me through that, too. Okay, that's, that sounds great. So we're going to close out with another bird song. This is from uh, Frida Haydn, uh, and, and it's a song called Birds. <laughs> 